Good evening. Have you had a good weekend? Mm, some people have. <laughs> if you haven't, say to your neighbour at the end, will you buy me a drink in the pub? <laughs> you know, you've, you've, got, you've got a few more minutes before the weekend ends, and uh, maybe somebody can, uh, you know, put a bit of joy into your weekend. Um, oh, have I said the wrong thing? <laughs> So I wonder when you last had an experience of not being prepared for something. I know we'll all have had all kinds of different experiences that fall into that category at some point in time. I had one this week. Uh, I was parked in a big car park in Tewkesbury on um, Wednesday evening. I'd been meeting up with somebody and I came back to my car. The car park had completely emptied and I looked at my back left-hand tyre and noticed that it was flat. (laughs) And um, I'm sure if it had been one of you, you might have known what to do. But as I sort of stood in this empty car park with a phone with hardly any battery on it at all, I suddenly realized, oh, this has never happened to me before. And I'm not really prepared for this moment. If I'm honest, I don't even know what a jack looks like. I don't think there was a pump in the car. And I certainly wouldn't know how to change a spare tire. My main man, who normally does that kind of stuff for me, not Jesus, but Tim, (laughs) he wasn't with me. Um, and I don't think I had enough battery on my phone to uh, find out from YouTube how to change a tyre, let alone if I'd had the strength to do so, um, which I didn't. So I just prayed and drove home on a flat tyre. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim sorted out the car the next day. <laughs> there are all kinds of things in life, aren't there, that we, we find ourselves arriving in a moment and we think, gosh, I'm really unprepared for this. Anybody had the experience of being convinced you knew what was coming up in the exam paper. And then they lob a curveball at you, and there's a question, and you didn't revise for it, and it's like, I'm completely unprepared for this. Yes, some of us in the room. Maybe you've been in an interview, and there's, there's been one of those curveball questions, and you think, didn't think this was going to come up, don't know how I'm going to answer that. There are some bigger things in life, aren't there, that come along, and actually we're just really not prepared for them. Maybe some of you in here are here in here this evening and actually you're thinking do you know what I'm actually just not prepared for how my life is you know is in this moment of time one of the many things I love about Jesus I love lots of things about Jesus as I'm sure many of us do but one of the many things I love about Jesus is that he is really honest with us I'm somebody who you know I like I mean you know, I'm a fan of honesty I really rate honesty I believe that the truth matters, that the truth sets us free, and therefore the truth is really important to us, and Jesus is somebody who always tells us the truth. I love that about him. He tells us the truth when it's good news to hear, and he tells us the truth when it's maybe stuff that we're not so keen on hearing, and yet it's still good for us because it's going to lead to freedom or equipping or whatever. And he's always honest with us, and he's honest with us about the future. Why? Because he wants us to be prepared. Anna said that God had asked her that question as she was walking to church this evening. Are you prepared? She used that word. Are you ready to worship me? And God wants us ready for all the different kind of scenarios and situations that we find ourselves in life. And this evening, we're going to look at a, a, less, a slightly less well-known parable than many of them. Some of you, it will be familiar to you. Some of you, it won't. But we're going to look at it um, and unpack it in a moment. Uh, and it's a parable that comes in the context of Jesus trying to prepare his followers just before he goes back to heaven for, for the life that they're going to they're face and experience and the stuff that they're going to they're find coming across their path uh, as they do uh, relationship with him on this earth. Why are we looking at it tonight? Why have I chosen this parable? Two reasons. Firstly, 
we're approaching Christmas. Anyone ready for Christmas yet? I know, you know, anyone done their Christmas shopping? Anyone finished their Christmas shopping? Oh, Dan, you put us all to shame. Well, how many presents have you had to buy? Maybe you've only had to buy one or two. Or have you? <laughs> 15? Gosh. Can I, can I hire you as a personal shopper? <laughs> I'm never ready for Christmas, even on Christmas morning. But anyway, some of you will be ready by that. It's Christmas. And as we approach Christmas in, a, in, a, in, a, in the kind of, you know, as we do it as a church family, we begin to sort of reflect on and think about Jesus coming to earth, don't we, as a baby. But it's often a time that we reflect on his coming again, the coming of Jesus that is yet to happen. He came once, didn't he, 2,000 years ago to earth, uh, dressed himself in human skin, came to minister to us to show us what the Father was like to, to die upon that cross. But the Bible says that he's coming again. I hope you believe that. He's coming again. And when, the Bible says that when he comes again, he won't come in a hidden way where people don't really recognize him unless their spirits are open and their hearts are hungry to know about God. The Bible says that everybody is going to see him. Everyone on earth will see him as he comes down from the clouds in his majesty and his glory and his power and his strength and his splendor. The Bible says that every knee will bow. And so... You know, this passage is, is kind of something that Jesus talks about in relation to his coming again. The other reason we're looking at this this evening is because I actually believe that this passage that we're going to look at is as about as relevant for us as followers of his today as it has ever been. I believe that we really need to take it seriously. I've talked about this kind of stuff with my own kids. Are you ready? Are you ready for the times that we're living in? Are you ready for Jesus' return? I've talked about it with my own kids. As a spiritual mother on, in this place, for those of you that don't know me, I'm on the leadership team. I want you to be ready. I want you to know what Jesus says. I want you to know how he wants you to be prepared for the times that we're living in today and the times that we're going to, are going to continue to unravel in front of us. I don't know about you, but I find scrolling through the news headlines on my phone or my laptop rather challenging and actually quite overwhelming. You know, that the, uh, the climate disasters seem to be growing in their magnitude and in their frequency. Apparently, what are we in? November 2023. Uh, this year has been the most expensive year in the, in the realm of billions, natural disaster-wise, for the United States already. 2023, worst year on record. Who would have thought a few years ago that we would have a war in Europe that has today, apparently day 634, of the war in Europe. 2022 saw the highest number of refugees dispersed around the world on record. There is strife, there is inhumane violence, there is deep uncertainty going on in the Middle East at the moment. We've been praying about it as a church on a scale not seen for decades. The number of Christians, Anna works for Open Doors, for those of you that don't know, the number of Christians, according to Open Doors, that have been persecuted to date this year has reached the highest level on record. Again, the record numbers go up each year. 360 million people, Christians, are suffering and have suffered some form of persecution uh, this year. Now, we could get depressed at this kind of stuff. I'm not suggesting we should be. You know, I, I don't think we need to be depressed about it. We could be, depending on how we look at it. We could bury our head in Netflix and think, oh, this is all too much, you know, let's just pretend it's not happening. Or we could take the advice of Karl Barth, who's a Swiss theologian, and he said this, read your Bibles and take your newspaper and read both, but interpret 
the newspapers from your Bible. I love that. Read your Bible and take your newspaper. Well, these days it's both. Just get your phone out. <laughs> Look at the headlines. Read your Bible, but interpret the news from your Bible. And I don't know, friends, that we're very good at that in 21st century, I don't know, Christian church in the UK, in the West. I'm not sure how good we are at taking our Bible and having the news and looking at the news and seeking to interpret it through what the Bible says. I think we get fed the interpretations of what's going on through social media. And if we're not careful, that's the interpretation, that's the perspective that soaks into our soul. If you want to read a bit about this, we're about to open the Bible in a minute. Matthew 24, Jesus says an awful lot about the stuff that we're seeing in the news at the moment. We're not going to read it this evening. He says a lot about it. He says there'll be climate disasters. And he says they'll get more frequent. They'll get bigger and they'll get more frequent. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. He says that there'll be persecution of his followers. He says actually that there'll be many people that will fall away from faith. And he wasn't saying all this to kind of prove to everybody, look at my prophetic gifting. I'm really good at predicting what's coming. He wasn't saying it for that reason. He said it because he wanted us to beware about what he says in Matthew 24, verse 8. These are the beginning of birth pains. That's what he says. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now, as somebody who's had four children, I know quite a lot about birth pains. I'm going to spare you the detail. <laughs> I'm not going to describe them to you. I'm not going to talk you through what it's like. But suffice it to say, they're pretty bad, <laughs> unless you have some kind of you know, useful anesthetic. They're pretty bad, but the most significant thing about them is they get more and more close together. They start off really far apart, and they get closer and closer together. And they get closer and closer together the closer the arrival of the baby. When the baby comes, the pains stop. And, you know, the party happens, the celebrations begin. But Jesus is describing the stuff that we're seeing in the world as birth pains. I hope you believe that, friends, birth pains. What's the baby he's talking about? He's talking about his second coming. He's talking about the time that he's going to return to earth, that he's going to come back. He's talking about when he comes back to earth, calls time on the world and what's going on in it, and we will all see him and bow the knee uh, before him. And he's saying, you know, he wants his followers, he wants us to be prepared, to be ready for this stuff and for the increasing intensity of the birth pains. So, with that as a bit of background context to what he's been saying, if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it to Matthew 25, and we will read this parable. It begins in verse 1. It's the parable of the ten virgins. So it'll come up on the screen, but always good to have a Bible to follow it if you've got one. Jesus says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil, olive oil for their lamps, but when the other, other five were white, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, "Look, the bridegroom is coming! Come out and meet him!" All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, "Please give us some of your oil." 
because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, well, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with them to the marriage feast, went, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too, this is what Jesus is saying to his followers, you too must keep watch. Be ready, for you do not know the hour or the day of my return. Now, we're not going to work our way through this story because as many of you will know, when Jesus told these stories, these parables, he told them to make one significant point, to illustrate one main thing. And maybe this story will will raise more questions than it answers. If so, that's a good thing. Jesus loves to hear your questions. You know, take them to him, pray about them, ask him, ask other people. I just want to highlight the main thing of this parable this evening because it's what I believe the Lord wants to say to us as, you know, us here as a family in Trinity Cheltenham. And the main thing about the story is this. How much oil do we have? This story is about how much oil the virgins had in their different lamps. They represent, these ten virgins, they represent followers, believers, people who knew the gospel and who believed in Jesus. And they were, they were seeking to keep themselves pure from the world. That's what I think, you know, that's why I think he described them as virgin. And they have these four things in common. Firstly, they all, expre- they all expect the bridegroom to come back. So they know that he said he's coming back and they're expecting him to come back. They're waiting for him to come back. Secondly, they all had to wait for his return. And they represent, as Jesus has been describing in the previous chapter, as as I've alluded to, they represent believers, followers of Jesus, in the last days waiting for his return. Notice his return is in the middle of the night. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about the night in a metaphorical or in a story way like here, it is always used to describe a time of adversity, a time where, you know, life is really tough and challenging. And friends, let's just remember, as we dive into God's word here, and we have it open in front of us, politicians and campaigners and celebrities, in their very well-meaning way, are continually encouraging us and reminding us that if we do our bit, we can make the world okay, and we can make it better without Jesus. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying the birth pains are going to get worse. It's not that we shouldn't do our bit. We need to be stewards of creation. We need to love others. We need to serve them. But we need to read the news headlines with our Bibles open and understand them in the light of what our Bibles say. And this says he's coming back in the middle of the night. Thirdly, they all had lamps and they all had oil in their lamps. They all had lamps and they all had some oil in their lamps. Fourthly, As the evening wore on, they all fell asleep. Notice that. Bridegroom was a long time in coming. Tim's taken lots of weddings in church. It's always the bride that takes a long time in coming. It's never the bridegroom that's that's late, so who knows what he was up to. But he's delayed, and they fell asleep. And I, I find this encouraging because what Jesus is really alluding to is the fact that, well, spiritual weariness happens to all of us at some point in time. You know, life makes us spiritually weary at times. And they all fell asleep. They were weary. 
But when he came, you know, they woke up. They got up. They woke up again when they heard the bridegroom was on the way. So here's the thing, you know, you don't need to, need me to highlight it again, but I'm going to, that Jesus points out is the main difference between the wise ones and the foolish ones. The wise ones had lots of extra oil with them. That's the single difference in this parable. The wise ones had extra oil with them. The foolish ones, when they woke up, they didn't have enough oil, and suddenly there was a panic going on. Where can we get oil? Can we have some of yours? So what's with the oil? What does it represent? What is Jesus wanting to alert us to so that we can be ready you know, as the night gets darker? There are various interpretations about what this oil represents. I agree with those, probably the majority, that suggest that this oil represents our relationship with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, oil is one of the metaphors that is used to describe the Holy Spirit all the time. His listeners, the people he was talking to, were Jews. They knew the Old Testament, so they'd hear the word oil and they'd think, Holy Spirit. So I believe, and I agree with those that believe, that this He's talking about their relationship with the Holy Spirit, a symbol for their connection, their relationship, their connection, their closeness to the Lord. I believe that oil is a picture of our level of intimacy, our level of closeness with Jesus. And what he's saying is, this really matters for the night that is coming. I would argue, you know, the night that we're, we're going into the fellowship and the friendship that we have or don't have with the Holy Spirit. And it's totally consistent to what he's been talking about in the previous chapter in Matthew 24. We've been doing a series for those of you that are visiting uh, on the fear of the Lord. And one of the verses in the Bible, there are a few of them, but one of the verses that literally puts the fear of God into me is in Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about the wars, the, you know, the persecution, the, you know, all this stuff. He's being very in- literal about what he's describing rather than telling stories. And there's a verse in Matthew 24, I think it's verse 12, where he says, in these times, the love of most will grow cold. And when I read that verse, it's one of those verses, I think, Lord, I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be me. Don't let it be me. And yet he's being realistic about the pressure that life in this world is going to put on us and on our relationship with him so that the love of most will go cold. And he's not talking about, you know, the love as we would describe it in the world. He's using the word agape there, the word that is used in the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength, and then go on and love others as you love yourself. This oil is a picture of our personal connectedness, our personal relationship, our personal devotion to him, the extent to which our hearts beat with love for Jesus, the extent to which our hearts are full of Jesus' love for us, the extent to which his love is burning inside us. And it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because actually it's when we go through dark times personally, when we go through challenging times, that that love is really exposed, isn't it? It's put under pressure. You know, what do I do? Do I move towards God when life is tough or do I move away from him? Do I let disillusionment and disappointment make me withdraw from him? Or do I actually allow it to push me towards him? Do I want to worship? 
Do I still want to worship him when, when life is really challenging? Do I still want to, you know, trust, can I, will I still trust his love for me? Do I still want to be close to him in those moments? Do I still rely and trust on his strength when actually life is really challenging? Do I still want to serve him? Two things about the oil in this parable. Firstly, oil is a fuel, isn't it? Oil is a fuel that keeps the lamps burning. What they were doing with their lives. It was the oil was the fuel that made the lamps burn. Jesus is saying, you know, your affection for me, your closeness to me, your closeness to me, your love for me, you know, our, our intimacy together as friends, that is what is the real fuel of your life. You know, you want your lives to count for me. Well, the real fuel that's going to make your life count is your worship of me, your love for me, your connection to me. And I think he's just reminding us that this is the energy that will enable us to go the distance. I think, Anna, you just prayed that we wouldn't, you know, peter out or wear out or whatever. Do you know what? I know so many people. It's so tragic that as they walk through life and life becomes challenging or difficult or disillusioning or whatever, actually the oil runs out and, they, and their distance between themselves and the Lord, it grows. You know, I know, I know somebody here in their 20s was talking to me the other day and saying already that's what they're beginning to see about the people around us. Jesus is going, I want you to go the distance, guys. I want you to go the distance. I want you to be prepared. But pay attention to the oil. That's what he's saying. Have we learned, friends, to receive and walk in his love? The love that meant he came from heaven to earth for us 2,000 years ago. The love that meant he endured a whipping that stripped his body to pieces the night before he was dark, the night before he was crucified. A love that meant he chose the cross for you and for me so that we could be reconciled to the Father and know Jesus as a close and intimate friend. A love that means he comes to us day in, day out and says, my arms are open wide, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He paid the highest price for you. He paid the highest price for me. Are we living? Are we living in the confidence that we are loved by him day in, day out and walking in that love? Have we learned to recognize his loving voice on a day-by-day basis? This is the way, hills, walk in it. Have we learned to share him and to share his love like that and allow him to have his way enough? Okay, last thing about the oil. It's costly. They had to go and buy it. The ones that didn't have it, they had to go and buy it. There wasn't a kind of freebie handout stall, you know, like a sort of marathon, you know, where they hand out water. They had to go and buy it. That's what Jesus says, go and buy oil. And he's not saying we have to earn, you know, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives as a reward. He's not saying that. We know that the Holy Spirit is a gift. Relationship with Jesus is a gift. Salvation is a gift. But we have to do something with a relationship, don't we? We have to cultivate it. We have to be responsible for our side of it. I'm responsible to how close I am to Jesus, not him. He says, Hills, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. You know, there's a, there's a part that I have to play. We have to buy our own oil friends. And I think what Jesus is saying when these, when these uh, you know, five said, no, we're not going to sell you, we can't give you our oil, we haven't got enough. I don't think he was saying, oh, they're really stingy. I think what he was saying is, we can't, I, can't, I can't feed off Chloe's relationship with the Lord. I can't borrow from her relationship. I have to have my own relationship. How close I am to Jesus depends on my walk, my investment, my time in the secret place. 
We can't buy someone else's oil. We're responsible for our own. So I want to finish by encouraging us. I want to encourage us, if you haven't done this recently, to find half an hour this week where you do a little audit, a little edit of your own relationship with Jesus, of your own relationship with his Holy Spirit. I've got a question here. You might find it helpful to ask yourself. This is two versions of the same question. (laughs) Pick the one that you find easier. What do I need to do to move closer to Jesus? Alternatively, you know, what could I do to become more connected to him? How can I pay attention to my oil? You might want to just take a little bit of time this week to reflect on that. How can I move closer to Jesus? What do I need to do? I've got four sub-questions for you. You might want to, for those of you that like taking pictures of these things, they might just help help you. What will help me read the Bible more consistently? What will help me pray more effectively? You don't have to answer them all, but if something's helpful, you know, have a think about it. What will help me listen to Jesus and recognize his voice more? What will help me to stir up my affection for him? Oil is costly, friends, because relationship takes effort, doesn't it? You know, I'm not going to say too much about this, but actually I have to put an effort into my relationship with my husband. I have to put an effort into my relationship with my kids. I have to put an, an effort into my relationship with my, um, my children, with my friends. Relationships take time. They take investment, don't they? And yet I think it can be very easy just to allow the whole Jesus thing. The enemy is always persuading us we haven't got time, isn't he? We haven't got time. Well, he's, God's given us all the time we need for all the things that he's called us to. The enemy's telling us we don't have enough time. Friends, we do. We just have to find the right time and then contend for it. Somebody said once, I don't know, there was some sign or fridge magnet in the age of fridge, fridge magnets that said, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> Jesus does care about how we live our lives and the things we do with our lives. And there are many of us in here that want to make a real difference with our lives. We want to see his kingdom come and we want to change the world for the better for Jesus. And he cares about that stuff, but he doesn't care about what we do for him as much as he cares about our relationship with him. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And this is a story about being ready, about being ready for what life has for us, about being ready for what life is going to throw at us, being ready for the next chapter of our lives and all the great stuff that God has for us. Being ready for the pressure that, you know, life in the world is going to throw at us. And it all depends. You know, how ready we are for that will depend on the amount of oil we have, on the nature and the connection and the closeness of our relationship with Jesus.